summer 1983. I'm at my friend Lisa's parents' house in Long Island having three days by the pool. I'm away from my cramped Manhattan apartment, my waitress job, three days of relaxation. So in the morning before I head to Long Island, I call my parents, they live in Boston. And my mother answers the phone and I hate talking to my mother. It's like, there's no conversation. It's like, I have a mother, but I don't have a mother. She's always depressed. So like, okay, two weeks ago, I went to visit my parents in Boston and my mother's sitting in the backyard reading and I'm gonna go out and talk to her, but there's nothing. So I go up to her and I just straighten her wig. It doesn't even need straightening, but I just like had to do something. She's wearing a wig because she just had chemo. It's not cancer. They Doctors think it'll help her multiple sclerosis. I don't know, whatever. So, okay, so I'm on the phone. So I tell my mother to get me my father and I give him the information. So I'm relaxing by the pool. It's evening and the phone rings. It's my dad. Ma's gone. I'm on a plane to Boston. I got my jeans and t-shirt over my wet bathing suit. The last thing I said to my mother was to put my dad on the phone. And the last time I saw my mother, I straightened her wig. Like I have a mother and I don't have a mother. And now I really don't have a mother. And I wish I did. Hey there, and welcome to Grit. True Stories That Matter, a weekly podcast on the art and craft of the personal narrative story. Each week, my partner Kurt and I will tackle one question and answer it as best we can to help you craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True Stories, Personal Stories, Grit Stories. But this week's a little different. We're not tackling a question. And we've got eight tellers. You've already heard from one at the top of the show. That was Rana Levy in Brooklyn, New York. That story helped her win our most recent 99-second story slam. That's right, 99 seconds. And we've got seven more 99-second stories for you today, including stories from Kwang Yu Yang in China, Sharon Eisner in North Carolina, Jamie Brickhouse in New York, our very own Kurt Mullen in Massachusetts, Jay Rohr in Illinois, Jeremy Credlow, who also won a 99-second slam. He's in Washington. And Andrew Shelfo in Massachusetts. Kurt and I want to thank everybody who has been listening. We have been heard in 13 countries. The U.S., Canada, India, the U.K., Russia, Turkey, Germany, Australia, Romania, Poland, the Netherlands, Malaysia, and Colombia. We couldn't be more pleased. So thank you for all of your support. And before we dive in today, Kurt and I are both offering classes. If this is your thing, if you want to learn more, check it out. The information is in the show notes. It's going to be a lot of fun. Both of them start in January. Thanks again for listening. Let's dive in. I'm nine years old and I just get home from school. My mom's sitting in the living room and she tells me to go over and I think to myself two things one what the hell did I just do and two how do I make an excuse if I don't know what I've done and I stand in front of my mum and she looks me in the eyes and she says son I don't want you to cry but grandma's passed away and I think to myself grandma 
that's that's a lady my mum visits with me every three years on a holiday. Grandma's the lady that, when she smiles, has missing teeth. And grandma's the lady who beats me when I'm naughty. And so I look at my mum and I just go, oh, okay. Does that mean we're going on a holiday? And my mum bursts into tears. And I have no idea why. And then I start to cry as well. And I cry not because I miss my grandma, but I cry because the person I love the most in the world is sad and the person that she loves the most is gone. sitting by my mother's bedside and I'm singing along with Ella Fitzgerald, her favorite CD. Someone to watch over me. And I can tell she's listening, even though her eyes are closed because under the hospital sheet, her toes are going up and down to the rhythm of the song. And I'm thinking, I've never had anyone to watch over me, you know, not in that way, but my mother has. My mom met my dad when she was 16 and he was 20. They used to walk around the Bronx together, singing in harmony, and sometimes they would go dancing. That was 70 years ago. Can you imagine? I take my hand and I smooth her hair back from her forehead like she used to do when I was young. To my heart, you carry the key. And I try to send all my love through my hand and through my voice to my mommy, my flawed mommy who tried to protect me fiercely from the world like a mama grizzly. Then suddenly it hits me. Maybe the song isn't about me. Maybe it's not about someone to watch over me. Maybe I'm the someone. Maybe I'm the someone. I completely lose it when Gus dies. Gus is a dog. He's not even my dog. He's my brother Jeffrey's dog. And I'm down in Dallas this past October visiting Jeffrey. It's the first time I've seen him in five years. We've been estranged once again because I'm just tired of cleaning up his messes and lending him money that I'll never get returned, which I think is all due to his undiagnosed mental illness and untreated addiction. And here I am at the vet paying to put his dog down because he can't afford to. And he's not even here with me because he's too weak to leave his apartment because of the cancer that's killing him, which is the reason why I'm down there. And after I collect myself, the vet says, would you like to keep Gus's ashes for another $200? I'm thinking, no, I don't want a dog's ashes. What am I gonna do with a dog's ashes? 
But Gus was like a child to Jeffrey. And he was the only thing, the only living thing on this earth for the last 14 years that Jeffrey could have a completely loving and uncomplicated relationship with. So I say yes. And six weeks later, I receive Gus's cremains. And I think two things. One, what am I going to do with the dog's ashes? And two, they look kind of like cat litter. And then two weeks later, I received Jeffrey's ashes. And I remember what he said to me when I came back from the vet. And I told him how it went. And he thanked me. And he said, I want you to mix Gus's ashes with mine. And I look at those doggy ashes. And I know what I'm going to do with them. Have there been any major changes in your life lately? This is the young EMT asking me this, and I'm on a gurney that he's just pulled out of an ambulance, and we're in a driveway looking at a house where there's this big Christmas party in my town. And I was just in there a moment ago, but I've just become that guy, that middle-aged guy who passes out at the Christmas party. And now I'm in this gurney and I'm, you know, full of shame and I'm trying to sort this out. I'm playing medical detective for the EMT. I'm thinking, I'm saying, you know, I went for a long run and I didn't drink a lot of water. And when it got to the party, didn't want to be at the party. And I smoked some weed with a friend that was a little bit strong. And we kicked this around for a second. And the EMT and I decide that these two things are just not going to help me keep my feet. But, you know, there's something really trustworthy about this EMT. And I, for a second or two, I think, and I'm thinking, I'll just tell him, you know. Well, the thing that's really got me is my, my brother just died recently. He was only 37 years old, and I've, I've been rattled by it. And it's for Christmas, it's, it's cold in this driveway, and the windows are all lit up, and there are people looking at me. They're gawking, and I know some of them. And I'm really happy that I can't freaking hear one word that they have to say, because sometimes you just want someone new to talk to. And that's what I have in this EMT. And there's, there's just something, well, this is my first Christmas without my brother. And this is what you do when you lose somebody you love. You keep them alive in stories you tell. And it matters to me. I never get to tell him, but it matters to me when he leans in. He says this one word, but he says it in just the right way. Oh. Sometimes you look at the people in your life and you realize, these are my friends. Holy shit, I need to get some new friends. But I, it's not always easy to push these people out of your life, even if they're bad for you. But sometimes they make it really easy for you to do so. One instance of this, I had a buddy of mine. He had the audacity, the nerve on my birthday, my birthday of all times, to do this to me. He had the nerve on my birthday to die. He'd been in the hospital dying of cancer slowly for months, and he picks my birthday of all days. You know, he's got to make it all about himself. You know, he couldn't hang on for one more day. But in the interest of being the bigger man, I went to the funeral. And while I was there, we had some pre-funeral drinking in the parking lot, which led to at the funeral drinking. 
And then after funeral drinking, which turned into regular drinking, which eventually became after drinking, drinking. And it was sometime around the dawn when we were in the midst of after, after drinking, drinking, that I turned to my buddy Dave and I said, dude, I really think that we need to stop being surprised that we're all dying so young. to call my dad a Pollyanna. She said that there wasn't a cloud in the sky that he didn't find a silver lining in. He could find the bright side of anything, even cancer. I would go down and see him every month after he was diagnosed, and ask him how he was holding up. And he always responded the same with a big grin on his face. Well, I'm still buying green bananas. I was happy to see that he was keeping his sense of humor. I just wished it would have been better to begin with. Two years later, and it was clear that the chemo hadn't worked. The surgeries had been a failure, and the stomach cancer had metastasized to the rest of his organs. The prognosis was death. It was just a matter of if, or when, not if. I spent some time with him. We talked about his life, his regrets, what he wanted me to do for his wife to support her after he passed. And I told him all the things that he'd done to help me understand what a good man was just by showing what a good man looked like. When the phone rang and I saw his name popped up, I answered it immediately. I could see his grin through FaceTime when I asked him how he was doing. And he said, well, decided I'm not buying green bananas anymore. And so I packed my bags and went down to be with him when he died. I don't know, because I was just a kid, if Ronnie was a bully or just a jerk. I did know that whenever he was around the neighborhood, things were not as much fun as when he wasn't around. When he was there, he would make fun of us and he would threaten to beat us up and it was just a total drag. Once when I was 12 years old, I was walking to the candy store with my best friend, John, and I was really excited because it was the first time I'd been able to walk in eight weeks because I just had double knee surgery and the doctor had just given me clearance to go walk without crutches or braces. And as we're walking to the candy store, we run into Ronnie and he walks with us for a while and then he starts talking and then out of nowhere, he hip checks me hard and I fall into the gutter in agony. Thankfully, nothing was broken, but that was Ronnie. He walked away laughing. Typical Ronnie. Ronnie died in 9-11. But here's the thing. He wasn't the only kid from my neighborhood to die in 9-11. One of my really close friends, Chris, died in 9-11 as well. And Chris was the antithesis of Ronnie. He was generous to a fault. He loved everyone. He always rooted for the underdog. And he was the one that got Ronnie that job in the World Trade Center because he'd heard that Ronnie was down on his luck. So he got him a job. When I found out that both of them died, I worried that some people would think that because they died the same way that they were the same person. I don't know how karma works, but I know that no one deserves to die that way. But I know that some people deserve to die that way less than others. I know what Chris would say. He would say, don't worry about it. And he's probably right. But I guess what I've learned is 
remembering and forgetting are sometimes just as difficult. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed these 99-second stories. You can follow us on Facebook, Grit True Stories That Matter. We have a YouTube channel by the same name. And if you have a question or a comment or an idea you'd like to share, you can email us, hello at storygrit.com. A favor, if you listen on Apple, please rate and review this podcast. It really helps other people more easily find the podcast. I really appreciate it. And if you like this stuff and you want to take a class, well, Kurt's offering one, and so am I. The information is in the show notes, so it'll be a lot of fun. From both of us, we wish you a very safe and happy holidays. Talk to you soon.